0: Welcome to Open SAP Invites. Your invitation to learn with us on the go.
1: Welcome to Open SAP Invites. I'm your host, Elisabeth Riemann, and in this episode, we're talking to SAP experts Boris Betis and Nikolai Fetter about their open SAP course, learn how to build better products with a human-centric product backlog. The digital transformation means we all have rising expectations for any new product or service. Let's be perfectly honest, we all want to be wowed. By learning how to define a product backlog that balances the real needs of our customers with the business value and technical feasibility of our product, we'll be sure to hit that sweet spot. Boris Bezircis is an innovation coach and design thinking expert and was one of the very first design thinkers at SAP. He's the global design thinking lead at SAP Customer Innovation and Maintenance and he facilitates a design thinking coaching community of over 30 coaches. Boris combines agile and human-centered design principles to make innovation real in large customer projects, innovative products and smaller innovation sprints. Nikolai Fetter is a user experience designer, design thinking coach and innovation expert at SAP Customer Innovation and Maintenance. His focus is on building next-generation software products with customers and partners in co-innovation engagements. Before joining SAP, Nikolai worked as a retail fashion company where he created unique omnichannel shopping experiences while building up UX competence and driving an agile mindset in software development projects. Let's say hello. Hello, Boris. Hello. And hello, Nikolai. Hello. Welcome both of you to Open SAP invites. Early this year starting in June 2021 your four week Open SAP course ran on how to build better products with a human centric product backlog. Here you explained how to define and then structure validate, and refine a product backlog, and you emphasize the importance of user stories and user story mapping. Whenever we speak with course instructors on open SAP invites, it's always fascinating to find out the story behind how our course came to be and how it was produced. So as a warm up question to the both of you here, what's your very own personal story behind the course? Tell us more.
0: So I'm a designer by background. And before I studied design, I worked as a mechanical engineer and I rebuilt cars for handicapped people. So it was a very individual building, trying out what works for a person with special needs and what doesn't. So it was a very close collaboration. And then I didn't just want to rebuild cars. I wanted to build them from scratch. So I studied design and mainly with the focus on industrial design and transportation design. So cars, boats, airplanes, and so on. And I continue with the user focus. So in my diploma project, the project was presented by two flight attendants from Lufthansa. It was a crew rest compartment in the plane, the A380, new airplane compartment and the flight attendants told the story of how they make a break during the flight. And so I was always in this close collaboration and already in storytelling.
2: I'm also a UX designer, similar to Boris, but as you can imagine, I have a, a complete different story how I became a UX designer. So I actually started with studying in my bachelor's, I was studying economics and then I did an internship in Singapore and I had these great stories uh, right in combination with technology and I was really surprised how advanced in Singapore, the people were and in this kind of infrastructure that they had, and this actually made me think about what what I should study next. And um, this actually led to the conclusion that I want to do something innovative. So I actually started to study innovation management when I came back to Germany, and there I, for sure, um, came across a couple of different approaches: how to manage innovation, how to come to innovations, and um, how to create innovations. I am heard from this one uh, specific approach which is called design thinking and which is putting the human perspective in the center of everything that you do. Of all these methods that I've learned, the one that really made sense to me. So when you're designing something or when you're trying to build something for someone, you need to understand what that human being thinks does, desires, wants, need, And I also had the chance while working student at SAP to also experience design thinking in a live environment. I then decided after my studies to join Hugo Boss as an innovation manager. I tried to bring that approach into the project work there when we tried to create unique shopping experiences for the customers at Hugo Boss worldwide. And I was also curious about all these topics since I was new to all these topics and uh, also to design I had also the chance to join a community which is called the design and business community which is a community where people different companies like-minded people from different companies coming together and share their experiences right with design thinking in in large organizations what kind of challenges they face and how to overcome them and this is where I first met Boris in these events you have these different stations with different topics that you work on with different people and Boris was there and was talking about a specific topic which is uh, user story mapping and the way he was talking about that topic. I immediately thought, okay, this is somebody I need to work with because from this guy I can learn a lot. And then we actually started to create something together, which was a bit difficult at that time because Boris was at SAP, I was at Hugo Boss, and um, and we all had our own topics, right? We had to work on, so we had to wait until last year when I joined a team at SAP where Boris was also part of. We had a workshop for a big project together and we were talking about our initial idea and Boris was talking about SAP as, you know, the platform where we create such a topic. And then I was like, hey, I already have experience with those SAP during my time as a working student at SAP. And it was immediately like, you know, back then in 2017, when we first met, it was immediately that energy that was created while driving in the car together. And this is where it actually started. Yeah.
1: And I think it's fantastic that you kind of stayed with that idea. You realized very quickly you had a shared passion, you're on the same wavelength. And it's come to fruition then with this open SAP course. Absolutely. And I think it'd be quite a challenge sometimes to focus on the key areas that make up a course. And it runs over four weeks. So how did you decide which topics to choose and which week to do that particular topic in? What was the thought process there?
0: It was a storytelling process. So our main topic is how to bring human-centered design together with Agile. That's the overall story. There are shared attributes or aspects in both areas, and one of it is really a user journey or a story What is always a bit difficult to explain is how important storytelling is actually. So it was quite easy to say, okay, first we need the basics, then we need to transfer to something well-known already. User story mapping, it's more like a method you can easily explain. But then bringing in, in week three, the power of storytelling. And we started with movies. How a movie works or how a good story works and that's basically the essence and bringing it to life by connecting to emotions and maybe you can dive deeper into this bit later how important emotions there so piece of storytelling was in the middle of two connected topics user story mapping and how to prioritize a backlog which is very kind of logical and then in between is this emotional topic. And this was for a good reason, because we wanted to highlight the importance of experience, user experience and stories.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And I love the fact that you say the importance of emotions, right? Because we're talking about creating user-centric products and solutions. And we're all driven by our emotions there as well. And I think one of the piece of great feedback that I saw in the discussion forum. And I quote, a highlight for me, said one learner, was Boris's explanation of storytelling, the boom, wow, wow, boom methodology and translating it to a user-centric product backlog. And I think, um, how do you actually do that? How do you apply something that we know from the big screen? So from movies, how can we really apply this to work in software, to the IT branch? How do we create that wow effect? As
0: designers, we always have also a part of psychology in our studies. The interesting thing is if we we talk about user experience, how our mind captures or recalls or remembers a reality. You remember the beginning and the end of a great story and one or two highlights in between. So for example, if I ask you, how was your weekend? You just have two, three situations of your weekend and you answer, oh, it was great because we had XYZ. And you remember a situation with a stronger emotion, either good or bad. And this is user experience. So if I ask you, how was your flight or how was your rest in the crew rest compartment of this flight? You say, oh, it was bad because, and this could be, there was an interruption from outside and you had no break. Didn't belong to the design of the crew rest compartment or so. The importance is there is some emotion connected to a situation. Usually as user experience designer, are very carefully in designing the beginning of the experience and the end, and some highlights in between. So usually we look at what's pleasurable and what are pain points. And when there are pain points, we try to turn it around in an unexpected good emotion or experience. And if there are highlights, we also want to highlight those. So if I ask you, oh, how is your experience with that product? You have a situation in your mind and say, you, oh, it's a good experience because of, and then you have this situation. So with this boom, wow, wow, boom saying, Design the beginning and the end and one or two highlights in a story. And be careful with the pain points. Remove them as good as you can. And then you have a good user experience. And this is what you do with storytelling. So we use storyboards of strategically planning the journey a user does while using your solution or your product.
1: I love that you say it's such a subjective experience as well and that we need those highlights along the way that really influence how we remember a particular experience as well. And I guess you must have to interview a lot of users and do a lot of user research before you can really identify what a wow experience might be for the majority or how do you approach the topic there? What do you do?
2: So this is also what we addressed in the course. There is this distinction between uh, quantitative and qualitative research. When we in in user experience design talk about research, we always talk about qualitative user research because we need that interaction with users. So it's about empathy in the end. It's about these emotions that we want to catch. And um, therefore, we need to be in direct interaction with users. And the big difference is that for sure, as you can imagine, this can be quite intense. So, you know, interacting with the user directly can take some time, right? It needs a lot of preparation. Then you do your user research. It could be interviews or later on then also your usability tests. Once you have created something, I think quite obvious, right, that you cannot interview like a thousand users because it would take you like, I don't know, a year or so. So, and therefore, and, and this is also not required, Right. You need to think about what kind of users you want to interview and then you pick like three to six users and then you interact with them and ask your questions and then find out, you know, what are their desires, how they use the current software products, for example, or the current solutions. And then you try to observe, you know, what is going on there. And from there on, you transfer then your um, observations into insights and then moving on to really create something that will help them in the future. This is what Boris said, uh, using storytelling to get to the same level, right?
0: It's important here to use specific in situations. We distinguish between what people say, what they do and what they actually make. If I ask you, how healthy do you eat or live? Say, oh, very healthy. And then... I might ask, can you tell me what you ate today for breakfast and for lunch and yesterday for dinner? And then I get a better explanation. But then I might ask you, can I follow you for one day and see what you do and what you eat? Or we can actually cook together so you... Assemble the food, (laughs) you're you're picking the ingredients. And while you do this, you say, oh, I always use this ingredient because cinnamon is good for whatever. So we use that tools also for designing. For example, in a hospital, it's very different if you are in a meeting room asking the nurse what happens during an operation. And then you are with them together in the stressful situation and you see it and you see the the faces, you feel the uh, vibes in the air and you know, all that is more, gives you a much better impression, the context of use, the situation, what's actually happening then. And also how people navigate and interact with your solution is very different in the situation than in a meeting room or in a usability test, you can, also do design challenges and improve this room together with them and iterate. And that informs you on different levels. So if we say we do research qualitative, we also do this on different levels. So what people say is good. Observing then what they actually do is better. And what they make together with you informs you on a very different level. Uh
1: Uh-huh. So it's very holistic view of how people interact and what they actually need, because I guess if you answer one question, it's just one perspective on it. But there's so many different levels that it works on as well. And that's through observations, as well as just asking the questions and doing the user interview too. And before you mentioned Agile, we and also Scrum, the user experience design, design thinking, I guess all these different aspects and approaches come in to understanding what the problem is and what our customers are looking for. Can you maybe talk us through those aspects again, those approaches and Tell us how they fit together. You do this really succinctly in the course, but not all our listeners will have done the course already. So can you explain some of the synergies to us about agile, scrum, design thinking, the user experience, design? Can you summarize those points for us?
2: One aspect that is true for both, uh, which is um, iterations. In this world where things are getting more complex, right, where you cannot really, or where it's, it's getting harder to predict the future, right, you have to move forward in small steps. And you also need to encourage change because you don't know the future. So you need to plan in small packages and then you have to build it, you have to measure it and then you have to learn out of it. And then this gives you the information, you know, if you need to adjust something or you can let it be as it is or get rid of it completely. And um, so it's all about learning and uh, in an iterative way. And and this is what we also thought uh, would be good for the course, so in week one. And then with every week we added more information to more or less the same topics. We gave the learners the chance to repeat what they've learned previously, with some new insights and new details going forward and this is one of the fundamentals behind scrum or agile that you work in small cycles iteratively and this is also true for design thinking right as boris said you start with your observation and then you build something and the important thing is that you validate what you've built with the users again and trying to you know figure out if you really addressed their problems or their desires
0: In the course, we also explain big building blocks and small building blocks. So if we talk about iterations, we usually start with the end-to-end overall understanding what is it what we need to achieve together across the entire experience. And then you have a story that gives you the overview of everything. And you can iterate on this high level. What Nikolai described very well right now is if we go into execution mode, uh, we go into the details, the smaller building blocks, and we detail it down to a very specific situations, sometimes extreme situations. The pain points, the wishes, we synthesize requirements out of it, and then we go much deeper. But at the beginning, we need a kind of overall picture and how it works all together in order to go into smaller iterations and build the details.
1: Yeah. And we learned in your course that a good product backlog really is key to the successful product development. And can you share with us maybe now, what does it take to define a good product backlog? I remember in one of the, I think it's the first or the second week of the course, there's an overview slide where you talk about the definition of a product backlog and you have the different levels there as well. Maybe you can talk to us about the product backlog and then maybe go through this diagram with us just reminded of that visual.
2: The product backlog is a future picture of your product, right? With all the different um, requirements that you need to address, you know, with that future product. You need to cover a lot of different perspectives. So we always talk about viability perspective. So the economical perspective out of it. So what is the business value of my product? And then we also talk about the technical feasibility So is it even possible to build? And then um, the the user perspective, you know, what are my future users and what kind of desires do they have? What kind of problems currently do they have? And can we address it with the future product? And it comes down really to a shared understanding that you need to create in your product team because you have different roles. You have UX designers who are focusing on the user perspective and then you have your product owner who is taking care of the business value. And then you have your technical roles, the developers and architects who tend to focus more on the technical feasibility. From my experience in projects, it's good to have also an idea about the other perspectives, not only from a UX designer's perspective, not only about the user, but also about the business viability and the technical feasibility. And it's all about prioritization. You cannot build everything at the same time so you need to figure out what brings the most value what brings the biggest advantages for the users and what you know also from an effort perspective what is easy to build or what takes a little bit longer to build and this in combination you have to discuss within the team in order to prioritize the right features to the top in order to take on these first and this is what we also addressed in the beginning um, of the course that 40 to 80% of um, the typical cloud software or the features in a typical cloud software are not often used. The conclusion was in that article that we've read in preparation for the course is that 29 billion US dollars are wasted And this is just ridiculous when you think about it, right? Think about how much faster you could be on the market, how much money you can save, and also how leaner your product gets, right? And this also increases the usability or has a positive effect on your user experience because there are less features, right? And the less features, the easier it is to navigate through the app, for example. This is a huge topic and this is definitely something we all need to have in mind.
1: Is there an ideal team size to really understand the customer requirements and their needs when you develop a product? What's the best size of team to have?
2: A number
0: between five and eight. Five is very comfortable, I would say, and a good mixture of people that take care about the uh, user experience, the desirability, people that take care about the business aspects, the viability, and people that take care and have good experience with the feasibility. Because um, you should underpromise and overdeliver, and usually the it's the other way around. It's good to have these uh, people in your team, and you work um, in a quick way, um, short iterations, and that's easy in discovery and exploration. Usually, in execution, the team gets bigger. Maybe you have five teams of ten. Maybe more than ten and people that have cross functions around the team. The important point is how do you scale it and how do you establish a shared understanding in this team? It's useful to have a shared understanding on a overview level. So we talk about T-shaped people. The T has a horizontal line and a vertical line that goes deep. That deep line stands for the deep experience in either feasibility, desirability, viability. And the horizontal line connects the dots. So they should be able to communicate on a high level so that everybody in the team can understand it easily. Also to enable the team to prioritize and rank the story so that also a designer understands the impact of feasibility or complexity of how to build it. And the business person understands how users might perceive it in their day-to-day journey. But also an architect understands what's the impact on the business. So this is very important that we have this shared understanding in a team. So if you scale up to hundreds, 200 people, how can you have that shared understanding included? So... Sometimes it's teams where you have in each of the small teams, all three aspects, and then people come together as representatives of the team on a higher level meeting, one or two out of each team, one kind of thing. And you establish that shared understanding from there. Also good is uh, rotating the people from each team are in the conceptual team that always look on the end to end experience and process. And then they go back into their detail. And that happens all over the timelines.
1: Excellent. Thank you. And Nikolai, one question that I also have as well, in the course you explore exactly what an innovation is and how you define it. Because I think it's one of those buzzwords often in the IT context that every new product has to be an innovation. Can you clear up that confusion for us there, please? What exactly constitutes a true innovation?
2: You can talk a lot about innovation and how innovative your product is, but the market will speak the truth, I would say. So if your product is not used by someone out there, then how could it be an innovation? The misleading part is that we a lot talk about innovation, but what we actually have or what we're actually talking about is just ideas. In the course, say, innovation is about ideas times, times impact. So your idea has to have an impact. And this is only reached when you ex- execute on that idea, when you bring that idea to life and launch it to a market. And when it's then requested by the market and really used, then you can maybe talk about an, an innovation.
0: Also, look at a quote from Henry Ford who said, um, if you ask users, they would say, you need a faster horse. They would never say a car because the car is not out there yet. So, there is also the aspect of something new within something unknown. And so, together with it's successful on the market, it also has to be new. And we talked about user research, what people say, what they do, and what they make. And often we look at how it is uh, a process looks like uh, the current process. And we do research about the current process and we understand what people do. But then we need, that's the research part. Then we need a second Aspect, which is the design part. And then we go into crazy wild ideas um, and lots of them. We go for quantity, so hundreds of ideas. And then we pick and choose and narrow the solution space down to some ideas we assume that they are feasible, viable, and desirable with that shared team understanding. So the idea space goes smaller and smaller um, and we iterate in this short cycles and a good proof point is would you buy it or how much would you spend actually and this is a is a question but a reality check is that somebody really buys it you know and then you can see if it's implemented how many people uh, really are interested in And you can also go into the details and see what kind of features they are interesting in. And then you assume this feature is very awesome, but it's not used. And this feature is very often used and it goes off like a camera on a mobile phone. So that doesn't, nobody saw it, it's really helpful for uh, a phone to, to call, but now we
1: Use it as a camera, don't we? Invariably as well. Yeah. And related to emotions and how we view a product and the usefulness of the functions. If we look at the team developing a product, how difficult is it to not be in love with your product? How can we kind of still stay really realistic when we get that customer feedback? Say it's not sold on account of this particular function. How can we really be that objective?
0: Easy. Training and uh, validation. It's not about the um, opinion of any designer, architect, or business expert. These opinions might be helpful with doing your assumptions, but these assumptions need to be validated. And then you go back to your user and validate it. So it's easy to validate usefulness and usability. And you have professionals that do that like designers and user researchers. It's easy also to validate the business aspect. You can ask, you can um, then see what people do and what they make. And you can also make a feasibility check. You need to test assumptions. Assumption is just an assumption, not more and not less. And we take educated guesses, but it's a guess. And then you have to test it. And if a, if a week is um, between your initial idea and the test. This is good. If there is a year, your risk is higher that you spend a year of work and you, you waste a year.
2: Let me add something um, to what Boris said. Um, something that could really be helpful here is using personas really helpful tool that avoids you designing for yourself or thinking that you're the user right and and you you fall in love with your solution that you that you came up with it it not only helps you to empathize with your end users but also to have always this persona in front of you and um, always reminds you that you're not you know, using or that you're not designing for yourself but for the end user. And this also helps you for the validation sessions that that, um, Boris mentioned. So out of these personas, you could then pick the right persons to validate your your solutions with.
0: And the persona is a fictional character uh, that is based on the research, what we found. And uh, this is used during the design phase to to think about would Carl or persona like or love it, and then we still need to test it, right? We need to find ten calls that uh, Carl is representing ten of our users or a hundred, and then we go back to ten of them and test it with them.
1: What level of detail do you recommend there when it comes to defining personas because I know some people do struggle a little bit when it's their first project.
0: again, think about movies um, is that character plausible to you and what makes it plausible? Um, sometimes a hobby makes it plausible because it has a certain connection to a certain decision. Usually a persona only needs a personal goal to achieve and a kind of context or background to explain them. And the other details around is just there to emphasize, to think about what could happen to this. So. What car, or if it has a dog, or or not, you know, it's only important if it helps the team to bring that persona to life.
1: Really sound advice there, thank you. And talking about real life and professional development, I heard on the grapevine that both you, Boris, and Nikolai, you are going to be working on some new topics at work. Can you tell us more about what's next for you both and how we can keep in touch with you?
2: I'm joining actually another team within SAP. Actually, it's also part of another board area, which is the UX strategy and service design area within the BTP design organization. This is where I'm going to. And um, what I will do there, I, together with my new colleagues, I will yeah, create a compelling platform experience for our customers in the future.
1: Sounds really exciting. Excellent. And Boris, your new role?
0: Yeah, so I'm doing a fellowship. That means uh, we have that great opportunity within SAP that we easily can uh, change teams to learn how other areas work. The team is changing now with a mobile experience and engineering team. And um, this idea of building products that um, users um, love, it's very exciting to them. And so they um, asked me to support them to define their way of working, how to build this product. And this is what I will focus on. So I'm still around and exactly my topic, my sweet spot and looking forward with the new team. So it's really exciting.
1: They're both two wonderful opportunities to really apply the knowledge and the experience that you've acquired so far and really put the theory in the course that you've taught to our learners as well into practical steps as well. And I believe you have some some plan up your sleeves about how the two of you are going to stay in close contact as well when you make the move. So, Nikolai, do you want to tell us more?
2: We had this idea when we talked about it a couple of, of weeks ago that we could actually, um, you know, Share our experience right in our new teams, in our new areas where we are now working on. Um, if uh, we can really live up to to what we're what we're teaching um, in this in this Open SAP course, so um, yeah, so we, we thought about you know coming together on a regular basis and then share our experience, you know how it worked, um, what what are the challenges that we that we faced, um, what what have been good practices, how to overcome these challenges, and, and things like that.
0: Does it work at all in in new teams? Something
2: like yeah. that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) So be validating.
2: Mm -hmm. Actually validating, yeah. Validating our assumptions of of how to build uh, products that users love, yeah.
0: Basically going into the market and see if it's useful for the customers or new teams.
1: When this episode goes live, we'll be sure to include information there for our listeners about that you can tune in to your pulse checks as well and really find out how the both of you are getting on in your new teams. Because I think it's just fantastic that you want to take us on that journey with you as well and to provide those insights. So, we like to end each of our open sAP invites episodes with the question for you to summarize three key takeaways for us today. What three things should we as learners of the course and your listeners remember after today's conversation?,
0: well, maybe I start with um validate, 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 and shared understanding.
2: For me, it's uh, it's also the, the shared understanding, um, because uh, based on my experience, um, when I worked in projects, this was always the key um, to be successful, having a shared understanding between people and then creating that passion out of that shared understanding uh, to be able to change something in the future in a, in a positive way.
0: Before Corona, we always said, get out of the building, meet your users, right? Right. Um, to get this feelings of context, you know, that's important. With corona, we, we need to find ways to bridge that gap. So if we are not able to uh, go in this uh, operational room um, and uh, be with them, what can we do virtually to get this feeling of empathy?
1: Empathy is so important. And I'm, what stays with me is really the storytelling and the boom, wow, wow, boom, um, fantastic. I think both of you really brilliant job on the course. I think you have exciting challenges ahead of you with your new teams. But I, for one, I'm certainly looking forward to tuning in and hear how things are going on and and how the validation process is going. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and experiences with us here today too.
2: Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you for listening to Open SAP Invites. If you enjoyed this episode, please share and leave a review and don't miss your next invite. Subscribe now.